Welcome to From a Woman to a Leader, a podcast dedicated to discussing the challenges and providing tips for women in tech leadership. Hi, I'm your host, Limor Bergman-Gross, and in each episode, we'll hear from other successful women in tech, sharing their stories, insights, and advice. Join us as we empower each other to reach our full potential in the tech industry. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader. I'm very happy to have here with me Renu Matwani, and she is a colleague of mine from many years ago. We used to work together at Sun Microsystems, a company that is near and dear to my heart, will always remain like that. And Renu is a seasoned, seasoned software product executive with over two decades of industry experience. And today we're going to talk about her journey and her experiences. And we call this uh, based on Renu's that, you know, term that I really liked, oblivious to bias. So first, Renu, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for finding time on your busy day and willing to speak with us today. Thank you, Lemur, and hello, everyone. I am thrilled to be here. First, Lemur, thank you for thinking of me to feature me on this podcast. And when you reached out, of course, we've been in touch on LinkedIn through cheers and kudos for each other. But when you reached out specifically with an objective of doing something like this, I went down the memory lane about and think and started thinking about all the time we had at Sun and the last time I had seen you in San Diego where we were driving. That was, of course, special time for us, for both of us in our lives. So not just you excited me about this project that we are working on, this interview, this podcast, but also you took me back several years ago. 15 years ago, and that was awesome. So I'm grateful I'm here and uh, ready to answer anything, share anything that you would like me to. Yeah, yeah. So maybe uh, let's start with just maybe if you want to tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do today. So like you said, I am software product executive, and uh, I started this journey with being an engineer uh, behind the screen, writing code, and doing some software engineering and design. And very early on in my career, which is more than two decades now, I had realized that I do not want to spend my entire day sitting behind the computer screen and doing coding. As good as I was at doing design and engineering tasks, and as much as I enjoyed programming, I wanted some real life exposure, talking to people, understanding what really are the problems that we try to solve through uh, the software. And so I switched to doing product management and it has been a fantastic journey since then. There was no stopping after that. I did an MBA along the way. And at that juncture, I had various options to perhaps switch to sales or marketing or business development or finance or all those other fancy things people try to do after MBA. But like I said, it has been a fantastic journey for me doing software product management. I stayed course and I have been doing that for over 15 years now in various different functions and capacities, overarching inbound product management, outbound enabling go-to-market functions strategy, 
And I enjoy this holistic nature of my work where I am getting products out in the market, whether it is a product journey from stage zero to one or sustaining mature product businesses. So that's what I've been doing in San Francisco Bay Area. This is my home. I grew up in India, but now I have spent more time in San Francisco Bay Area than in India. So if you ask me where I come from, perhaps I'll have to think twice what yeah. defines me today, which culture defines me. And here I am with years of experience working with big companies like Sun Microsystems, Oracle, CA Technologies, Broadcom, and of course, having been bitten by startup bugs a couple of times in between. If you are here in Silicon Valley, you can't escape that, right? So that's a little bit about my background, my professional background. I have Thank two you. beautiful girls and lovely husband who at times has been a competitor based on what we do, at times a collaborator, <laughs> mentor several times, but just sharing all of that to say as happy I am professionally, as blessed I am personally too. That's incredible, which is more important, right? The personal, you know, the family is so important, right? To have a supportive family and, uh, and this is incredible. I think so too, Lemore, both feed into each other, right? Yeah. I have seen, I have had ups and downs in the professional ride, but if I'm happy personally, that carries me forward and that still gets me to the goal that I want to professionally. And so does the other way. If I'm happy professionally, then I can bring back that joy back to the family and uh, drive more goodness out of that. So it's very, very important for every professional. In this case, I won't say just for women, but every professional to strike a good balance between what they're trying to accomplish professionally and personally. Yes, I agree with you completely. And uh, we do want to touch, you know, your perspective as a woman, obviously, because that's what we are here mainly doing, right? Empowering okay. other women. And uh, we both know how it is like to be a lot of times the only woman in the room. And obviously, we both have been working in a very male-dominant field, surrounded mostly by men. So share kind of how did you navigate you know, being a woman in a male-dominant field, how did you kind of make sure that you were recognized, you were values? Obviously, you advanced your career very impressively. How did you do that? Um, I Before I uh, talk about what really kept me going, Lemore, I would try to create a visual here because when you asked me this question on... Uh, how did I advance the journey in a male-dominated career, a male-dominated industry that we are in? I was taken back in time when I was a part of the Java Mobile and Embedded team at Sun Microsystems, which later became Oracle. And I used to deal with the SOC, System on Chip Vendors. And these were traditionally because of the kind of work and also back in the day. So let's say this was two decades back, 15 years back, back in the day, there were perhaps not as many women engineers as still we find the ratio might not be equal even today, but it's still better today than it was back then. And this was in Austin. Of course, I was far away from my home and I was meeting with Freescale and I was in a room where we were discussing the collaboration between Java Mobile and the Kinetis controllers from Freescale. 
And this was a pretty strategic, pretty important meeting. And I was one of the few representatives from Oracle back then. And this was a room full of 50 men. And I was the only woman in that room. But I did not let that overwhelming feeling get over me because if I had done that, then I would have certainly not been able to accomplish what I was there for and carry on the task, which my company, which my employer, my management had expected from me. And that would have been a big setback. Forget about the business for me in terms of my own confidence. So I clearly did not let it get over me, but I don't want to out here and say that on purpose, I did not let it get over me. It happened because that's how I used to think back then. And if I now look back and rationalize how things happened, now I can put a perspective on all of these things by saying that back in the day, I was oblivious to this bias, this difference, gender difference, because that's how I grew up in my engineering college. Also, if I see how many women were there or at any other external event where I had to represent myself as an engineer. Uh, the ratio was always skewed. And if I've tried to find my affinity with similar people, say in this case with women, I would have been left in minority. And I perhaps chose not to do that because from the beginning, from the childhood, I kept reminding myself that I'm no different than anyone. And mm -hmm. why that was important was, it's a personal side of my story, which is I grew up in a family of uh, five sisters. So I have four sisters. And of course, you can understand, parents wanted a boy. That's why yeah. one after the other, they kept having a child and they still didn't have a boy. But that feeling had sat in my mind from the beginning and I wanted to prove not to my parents because they all they both, of course, loved us like anything. But to the world that kept reminding my parents that they don't have a boy child. And I wanted to prove to everyone that I am no less than a boy. In fact, only superior and better than boys. And that kept me going and excelling at everything that I undertook from the very beginning. And because that was the dominating feeling uh, when uh, I was doing things, that kept me motivated. I stayed oblivious to any kind of differences or any kind of skew around me. Mm -hmm. And now that's how I rationalize when I look back that because I was oblivious to bias, I did not let any kind of difference or any kind of a skew get over my mind. That kept me going and that let me overcome the challenges that I could have had just because of that gender bias or that kind of a skew that otherwise could have hampered me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's a great story about your uh, childhood. And uh, obviously, um, we want always as women to prove we're not no different and we are no different, but there are biases. There are biases against us. And to be honest with you, Women I work with today, and specifically women of color, even more so black women, they have a lot of biases against them. What would kind of advice would you give them? Let's say you as a woman see yourself worthy. You see yourself no different than any other of the other 50 men or whoever are. But they have biases against you. What do you do? How do you handle that? So first and foremost, I would say 
we need to keep our focus. We need to know where we are going because these biases exist, like you said, and these in many cases are trenched in the culture. So these are not the things that we can change overnight, right? These are not the things that we can change by talking. These things are going to take perhaps years or concerted effort in terms of changing the mindset and the culture wherever those differences exist. So keeping our focus on what we want to accomplish is the most important thing. We, of course, will be surrounded by these biases, but we have to know how we are going to, uh, we may not know the path to start with. We may not know the how of where we want to get, but we at least know where we want to, if we know where we want to get, having that focus in mind is very important. Second, I believe along the way, what helped me and is very important, it's generally true for everyone, not just women, but in this case where we have these kinds of biases and challenges along the journey, it's even more important that we have a team of champions, our now call it mentor. There's, there's different categories when you talk about mentors, cha champions and sponsors, right? Mm -hmm. But if I just put it all in one category for the time being, I would say having that set of champions who you can look to for advice, who can speak for you when you are not in the room or who can be your support system to keep you strong along that journey is the second most important thing. And last, I would say just my strategy as I was describing, uh, letting any kind of biases or any kind of counter productive factors not hamper you by being oblivious to them. I'm not saying we should not be aware of those challenges. It's very important, in fact, to be aware that you are in an environment which might not be ideal for you to thrive in. But at the same time, if you are in that situation, how by being aware and not letting those challenges stop you is what you should have as the way to move forward and know that you are not alone in it right i'm sharing my story Lemore, you talk to many women out there you publish their interviews people might have other stories from their network so nobody is alone so just finding yourself helpless in that situation is not what is going to help but what is going to help is knowing there are other people there are your champions you have a focus, you have a goal to accomplish and letting rest of the things out of your way is what is going to keep you going. Yeah, absolutely. Cleaning, cleaning the noise, I call it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have, do you recall any instances where you actually had to kind of overcome different biases against you? Um, overcome different biases. Actually, I can think of lots of different Stints I have had with different companies, different projects I might have worked on where clearly, like you said, I'm a woman of color. And to start with, when I would have come to United States, I was also an immigrant and one of the people in minority in terms of my affinity if I'm a woman. So clearly those biases existed. And Sometimes these are conscious biases in people's minds. Sometimes these are unconscious. So to your question, if there were any biases that I had to overcome, yes, there were plenty all along the way, I would say. And it's only after 
you have proven yourself uh, and unfortunately for women that is always a challenge it's not about who you are it's about you proving what you can do what you have done is what helps you get through the first step in terms of getting the confidence and getting the support system that you are trying to build right so specific example i would cite is especially when i started to take more executive leadership roles and uh, because now it was not about what i can do for myself it's also about the different people who i am directly responsible for in terms of their careers in terms of managing their work and that's a diverse set of people the nature of our work the nature of the industry in which we are and that's great that we have diverse teams so it's different people with different backgrounds different biases so it was not only about the biases my peers or my management would have held against me whether i'll be able to prove myself whether i will be able to take on the significant role but i had to also manage those biases my team would have had in terms of whether i can advance their careers whether i can navigate them to get to what we as a business have to accomplish so my most significant responsibility was with broadcom where over the last 5 years i have held various different product roles and in a way for doing good and this is i should think of on one hand as a reward that i was getting rewarded every year on the other hand i can also think of it as i was getting penalized because i was doing good and i was gaining more responsibility every year i was getting to take on a product and fix its challenges so over a course of 5 years i had five different products in the portfolio to take care of with different kinds of challenges and issues so with that significant responsibility for the products themselves i was also as i was growing up growing in my career uh, growing in the professional growing in the professional ladder i was gaining responsibility for more and more people so mm-hmm. as much as uh, it was exciting it was also coming with a whole different set of biases from the new people new set of stakeholders whose responsibility i was gaining so there are examples i can cite from this particular journey but if you ask me to pick one from where i had biases to overcome i would pick this journey over the course of last 5 years and because of the increasing responsibility of the products the technologies and people i of course had more and more biases to deal with and remind myself that i cannot fail myself here because failing myself would be failing the people who are holding those biases and who are expecting that i support them or i overcome those challenges that they think would be hampering me and i'm grateful i got um time to prove that those challenges that came along the way we can counter them i could help the business i could help those people and in the process in the journey accomplish those things for myself and have stories to talk about maybe 10 years from now 5 years from now yeah yeah for sure thank you so much for sharing and being open about it that's what we are here for right to 
to share those stories and uh, that other women can uh, can be inspired and see that yeah it's not easy but uh, it's doable it's doable to succeed and I want to talk a little bit about uh, biases against uh, women that are also mothers right both of us are mothers uh, and uh, can you share kind of as a working mom you have two girls have you felt or have you experiences any kinds of biases or or maybe not specifically at you but maybe other working moms so don't know whether it had to do with because i was mother or because i was stretched too thin to strike a balance between my personal and professional priorities but when i had my second child and she was only 18 months old i had taken on a new job and a new role at a company i wouldn't name the company and the person who was directly managing my work back then but while i expected empathy in terms of how i was juggling between a new child and the significant responsibilities for those who understand the product management profession would relate to what I'm saying here, that it's at any point in time juggling 50 different balls in the air. You are dealing with different stakeholders, different kinds of processes and tasks in the delivery and the operational value chain for the product. So it's a lot of multitasking that I was dealing with with my professional expectations and my personal responsibilities. And because that was going on, there were times where I did not decline to travel, but I expected a little more flexibility in terms of maybe reaching just in time for the meetings where I was expected to be outstationed or maybe taking a day off earlier from the conference because last day typically at a conference big conferences I'm talking about is wind up and not a whole lot is expected in terms of customer interactions or partner interactions. So I was expecting a little more flexibility in terms of the time that I would have spent outside of my hometown so that close to the family, like I said, I had an older child and a younger one that was just 18 months old. And this part, this kind of empathy was missing in terms of the environment and the expectations from me and which led to perhaps me shying away from taking on more responsibility at that point in time because more responsibility meant that I would have had to make more compromises and I believe now that I look back I think if I could have taken on more responsibility at that point in time I could have perhaps contributed more to the business and to my professional journey as well but i was not able to because because of those um because of that lack of the right kind of an environment and i don't know it was a bias against me or it was just lack of empathy but mm -hmm. this is what i can think of as an example where i was held back because as a mother there were certain expectations from me on the personal side and I wasn't necessarily asking for uh, punting back on my professional responsibilities, just a little more creativity, which was missing in the environment, which now as a woman, if you ask me, if I have a working mother in on my team, 
not just because I'm a woman, but even if, say, I had not had that experience myself, I would try to be more empathetic and understanding of what are the expectations of mothers and especially those with young children. And I hold high regard for how parents juggle between things. And in this case, I'm referring to this role as parents and not just working mothers because uh, with kids and with what is going on at work at any point in time there can be a lot of things that can be in conflict as i said your professional and biological clocks are at conflict right in fact when most is expected from you in your personal life because of kids because of the growing responsibility of the family or maybe in some cases from your parents too that's when you are most needed and you have most responsibilities at work too. So just having a little bit more empathy towards working mothers and based on the experience that I have had in the past, if you ask me, I would to be inclusive of people, just trust them. And I know that if you have right people and if you give them what they need on their personal front, they will give you the best on the professional side as well. So those biases, may have hindered me, may have hurt me, but in some ways they have helped me evolve myself as an individual, as a professional, that I can now give back to the people I serve or to not just working mothers, but let's say even working parents who might be in such situations that need, that deserve more flexibility, a little more consideration and inclusiveness at work. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've had my share as well, right? I mean, uh... I think uh, many years ago, before remote was a thing, so I had to travel quite a lot. And uh, it was stalling on my family, right? I had to leave babies at home, basically, to, to travel, right? Even when we met in San Diego, I had, like, very young children that I left for over a week, and I was pregnant. So uh, definitely, you know, it was difficult. It was not easy. And you mentioned flexibility. What kind of flexibility do you think employers should provide for both mothers and, and in general to to caretakers? I would simply put it as, uh, especially in the software, it is very possible and pandemic has perhaps made employers and senior management realize whether they are ready to accept it now that we are out of the pandemic or not is a different story, but they have realized that remotely also people can be as productive. So. In simple terms, if you ask me what kind of flexibility, people should have flexibility of the place they are working for and hours that they are working, as long as they are respectful of the critical hours during which they should be present for their team or for their customers or the stakeholders they serve. But place and the entire stretch of the time that they are working, uh, they not be expected to be available at all times is what I would define as flexibility. Mm -hmm. Because if you ask me in all honesty, I don't work for eight hours. I don't have defined boundaries like nine to five that I'm working. I'm practically working round the clock. There are sometimes problems and issues that I sleep with as thoughts in my mind. And I'm solving, I'm trying to find solutions to those problems in my dreams, even when I'm sleeping. Some practically working at all points in time. I know I'm not sending a right message here, 
by saying that I'm practically working at all times and I don't have that work-life balance. It's not about not having the work-life balance. It's the work-life seamlessness that I have struck for because that's how I think I can meet my professional goals and my personal goals as well. So coming back to your question, I think there are no such defined boundaries, especially for software people in terms of hours when they work. So giving them flexibility in terms of when they accomplish their goals is very, very important. If you have right people, they have right goals defined for them, they will meet those goals. So give them the flexibility, trust their discretion that they will be there for the team, customers, stakeholders when needed. But other than that, don't micromanage. And if they are comfortable working from their home, give them that space. Just expect them to be there when the team needs them to be in the office or when there are offsites or when there are group discussions to be had. So that is the kind of flexibility which is not going to serve parents or working mothers, but practically the entire community of the working professionals, knowledge professionals especially. Yes, that's for sure. I think flexibility is key. I mean, I've seen that since I started working remote in uh, 2016. That allowed me just being, you know, uh, with my kids when I wanted to. And as you said, like uh, the boundaries are very blurry. Some people don't like it, though. Some people prefer the boundaries. I prefer the flexibility, right? That you don't have to uh, clock, right? Uh, punch the clock at nine and punch it off at five, but you can kind of manage your time and you can define where you, when you work, when you're with your family. And I think it's better for, for, for both sides, for the employers and for the employees. True. And Limor, if you think of it, right, for the tech industry that you and I are from, or if a lot of our audience here might be from, if they're listening to this podcast, we don't have defined problems that we are solving that definitely have an answer that you will be able to find a solution to it in eight hours or six hours or four hours. Most times we are dealing with ambiguous problems. And sometimes we might find an answer in 30 minutes. Sometimes it might take 30 days to get an answer. So how do you draw boundaries for tasks if you were to have only a limited time or pre-allocated time for accomplishing those tasks. It's just the nature of the business, the nature of the problems that we serve that require that flexibility and a little more understanding of how these solutions can be arrived. You give people the best environment, you give them the space in which they are their best, you will get the best outcomes. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. Uh, before we end our uh, beautiful episode, I wanted to ask you if you have any last tips that you want to share with, uh, you know, with women, anything they feel um, can be helpful. So I recall in our last conversation, you had asked me about the challenges for women to be assertive. And mm-hmm. that's something that I would want to leave my thoughts on. And it's kind of a tricky situation. And I myself have been a victim of that kind of a bias that exists for women, that they are oftentimes not as as assertive, or if they are, they are defined as arrogant. So how do you strike that balance, right? And what has helped me is, uh, if I have done my homework, if I have that confidence within that what I'm going to say is right, I'm not getting stuck on the point just for the heck of getting stuck on the point, then that 
helps me a long way in terms of being assertive. And like I mentioned earlier, having your team of supporters and champions is very important. When you have that team of supporters and champions, you know that they will stand for you even when there is a counter argument. So if you've done your homework, if you are standing for the right thing, and if you have your supporters, that will help you drive the objective that you are trying to drive. And uh, to be not seen as arrogant, it's also important that you know when to stop and be assertive, but at the same time, don't get stuck on the point. Because if you've said your point, if you are right, and even if the other side is stuck on their position, sooner or later, they would realize you don't have to fight for it. Just like a good uh, advice to our kids also at any point in time is say your point, pick your battle, and also know when you have to stop. Those are the things which are important for us as women also to remember that to be assertive, knowing our stuff, knowing that we have people along the way is important and knowing when to call it off and uh, letting the people you are against realize that you have that metal. So be assertive and not arrogant is wow. what I would say. That's incredible. That's incredible. Take a book. Anyways, thank you so much. And how can people find you? I know. Uh, I believe I have my contact information shared on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, if not with the third network, at least with the second network. And I'm always open. I love talking to people. So if I receive a connection request, even if I don't know the person, and just a little bit of context on how we can help each other, how we can collaborate and um, be partners in the missions on which we are. I would accept and would love to connect with uh, people. So LinkedIn is the best forum to reach me. Uh, if people Google me as well, they would know a little bit more about what are my interests and my passions, what are the things that I've done. And if there are commonalities, I would look forward to hearing from them. Perfect. Thank you so much, Renu. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for having me, Lamore. And we are all connected at all times, right? In different points in time and space. So I'll see you somewhere. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader. This is your host, Lemore Bergman-Gross. And I want to encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Lemore Bergman, and let me know. What do you think about the episodes? Feel free also to comment on Apple Podcasts and tell me what do you want me to talk about? Which guests do you want me to bring? I really appreciate that and have a wonderful day.